values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card to spoil your furry family members. If you uh, enter our KTAR Paw Picks, you could win this. Send pictures of your pets. You could win this contest. Submit your photo to KTAR.com slash contest. A different pet photo will be randomly drawn at the end of each month and will be named KTAR's Paw Pick Pet of the Month. Uh, um, let's talk. I, we, this thing with China and Russia and what is happening and the rhetoric that continues to happen, I think, is a big deal. Um, and it's something that needs to be continued to talk about. This is an ABC News report. How the USA uh, brings China and Russia together was a topic of this. President Putin and she publicly stating that the U.S. is their common adversary. The White House acknowledging that, saying what brings Russia closer together with China is their common desire to challenge U.S. leadership around the world. Russia does not have the power anymore, and they were the world superpower along with the U.S. back in the 80s, the Cold War, those of you old enough to remember, but they are not that anymore. It has turned into a glorified gas station. Their economy is a fraction of what it used to be, but that doesn't mean that they, they, are, still a, they are still a nuclear-powered nation. They have nuclear weapons, um, and they are partnering with China, which does have the economy, and it does have the population, and it does have the military to be a formidable enemy to any in the world. So the alliance there is what is concerning people. Um, the president, uh, President Xi of, of China, said change is coming that hasn't happened in 100 years, and we are driving this change together. Putin replied, I agree. Before they said hello, and they, he said to President Xi, please take care, dear friend. Then he waved as Xi got into his limousine. And drove off. Um, This should be concerning to everyone in the world that we are seeing this alliance where if you have any knowledge of, you know, 20th century history that uh, Vladimir Putin hates America. We have been his enemy since he was a child. He was with the KGB when the Cold War happened and they lost and the Soviet Union disintegrated. He rose to the position of leader of that country and has had this ill will toward America ever since. Now, we know that there is a difference between people and government because of the way we govern in the U.S. And we have a lot of people that escape Russia that come to the U.S. We have a lot of people that escape China and come to the U.S. But as a government with these two nations working together, and again, everything is from me at this point is just what I see. I have no inside knowledge of any of this. But it looks like the Chinese have a willing participant to do their dirty work, that the Chinese have the money, the Chinese can supply the equipment, and the Russians will do the dirty work. What's going on in Ukraine? They've been so vague. The Chinese have been vague on their stance on this. The U.S. has come back diplomati- diplomatically and said there will be no agreement without a withdrawal from Ukraine. The Russians say we're not going anywhere. We've not heard a whole lot from China on where their stance is on this. How involved will the Chinese get? You know, the Chinese are basically talking about doing the same thing with Taiwan that we've seen the Russians are trying to do with Ukraine. 
And I, I got a great message from someone yesterday when I said, you know, we have to be involved diplomatically in a lot of this. And somebody sent me a message, which I thought was an excellent point. We can't spend the trillions of dollars in funding this war for Ukraine. We are printing so much money. We're driving ourselves into oblivion with inflation because of this creation of dollars and what's happening. And it's an excellent point. I'm certainly not advocating for U.S. troops on the ground to get involved in this conflict or this war. But what I am saying is, as Americans, we cannot wash our hands and be isolationists and say this doesn't pertain to us. They're not a NATO country, and it isn't any of our business. I I think that is a bad way of handling it because China is seeing the ability to outmaneuver us diplomatically right now. Not necessarily a knock against Joe Biden. I just don't think that they have the experience, nor do they have the focus. You know, there's a lot more focus on the uh, climate secretary or climate czar, John Kerry, in this administration than there is on the secretary of state and what's being done diplomatically around the world. That's just my opinion. But you see the Chinese making moves in Central America and trying to gain alliances there, moving closer and closer to our shores, our borders. Um, You see what's happening between them. If you look at the relationship building that's happening economically with the Chinese and the Iranian brokering that deal between the Iranians and the Saudis, the Saudis and and the uh, uh, Chinese talking about doing deals with um, oil in, in working in that regard, but doing it with Chinese currency when the agreement right now with the Americans and the Saudis is that will all be done with U.S. currency as the default currency. We are seeing a lot of cracks out there in the armor, and this seems to be like a methodical mission that they're on on multiple battlefields, not with arms, with economy. And as soon as you start getting countries and places dependent on one nation's economy uh, for their assistance, or in this case, Russia, Russia can't make any moves without the backing of China. No way can they make any move. It would be like saying Ukraine was going to go on the offensive now and they were going to take over Russia. Ukraine can't do anything without the backing of Europe and the backing of the U.S. They just don't have the they don't have the people. They don't have the military equipment. They don't have the ability. We have chosen to side with Ukraine, saying that Russia cannot take over this sovereign nation. We are not getting involved militarily because they're not a NATO country. But we are also sending a message, I think, to the Chinese via the Russians that we will not sit by and tolerate this kind of behavior. Will Poland be next, which is a NATO country? These are all viable questions. But watching this now very public meeting, because if you remember, it was just about a month ago that our president made a trip to Ukraine, got on a train in Poland, went to Ukraine and made a big deal about sitting side by side, standing shoulder to shoulder and pledging our allegiance to the Ukrainians. Well, this is a rebuttal to that. This is the Chinese president going to Russia and saying, there you go. Here you go. You move your pawn, I'll move mine. You're going to swear allegiance. You're going to stand shoulder to shoulder. Here we are. And the world better pay attention because this is all words right now. But how bad can it get? A lot of that depends on how bad Putin will get. He's already lost more people than they ever anticipated this happening. I don't know what their exit strategy could possibly be, but how far will he push and how far will the Chinese tolerate him pushing? Those are all really good questions.
Very good questions. All right. Coming up in a moment, we get back to the economy. Is the Fed going to raise rates and how are things going right now in the U.S. economy? It's all coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Um, back on this economy train, and uh, I want to recommend down. I, I do this a lot because I really do use the app, the, the KTAR News app. You're going to get notified about things that are happening. There's a lot of water out there, and this is for those of you that are new to Arizona. I learned this the hard way as well. I grew up in a place where it rained all the time. Water wasn't an issue. An inch or two of rain didn't make much of a difference. There were puddles, and that was it. Here in Arizona, an inch or two of rain causes disastrous results with run off we're seeing and melting of the snow we are seeing rivers and washes are raging if you're new to arizona don't risk it don't drive in the washes stay away from them turn around go the other way and download the ktar news app they'll keep you updated on what's happening with these roads and we're gonna have traffic reports all day long and our news reports with jeff letting you know what's happened so i'm just saying that this is going to be the best place for local information and you're going to want to be safe and it may look like it's not that big of a deal but i promise you every person that's ever been involved in a water rescue thought they could make it. So do yourself a favor. Stay out of those washes. Um, let me start with good news. Home sales spike at 14.5%. So home sales seem to be recovering. I think there is a, a level of this, and this is, again, my opinion and how I view the world. Realizing when I bought a home five years or so ago, I don't remember exactly how long ago it was. Um, when I got that mortgage, it was around 6%. And I didn't even bat an eye. I mean, it was just what it was what it was. Well, then when interest rates fell through the floor, I refinanced under 3%. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. So when I bought the home I purchased in October and my interest rate was back up around 6%, I thought that's really funny because now I think that's crazy high. And I didn't bat an eye a few years ago. So I think there's an adjustment period for people when they understand what they're going to qualify for and everything else. But seeing the real estate market starting to recover, I don't think it's ever going to crash here, at least not in the foreseeable future, based on what I can see, based on the fact that we are a destination and we have such a shortage of housing. And it's going to take us a lot of time to catch up with that shortage. I think in the meantime, home prices are going to remain high, remain very good. But with a softening in the market and people seeing prices come down nationally now for the first time in over a decade, people are saying now's the time to jump. You've got the Fed who may raise interest rates at their next meeting, which is scheduled to happen very soon. And if they do raise interest rates, it's expected that it'll be minimal. So then I think you're going to see the other effect, which is we know with these banks having problems, they are leery of raising interest rates. Now's our time to jump into the housing market because we might have a jump in interest rates later. Now, and you do realize that there is no direct line between the Fed raising interest rates and mortgage rates. Mortgage rates are on a different scale, although we know that they are they do climb with the interest rates. It's but it's not directly connected. So when you see this happening, it's pretty remarkable that um that this is going on. Um and I was going to I'm, I'm going to wait to do this a little bit later on in the show. I think um, we have a friend, my banker friend. Uh, is he on the line? He is, OK, we're going to get with him coming up in a few minutes. No, not right now. We're going to do it in a few minutes. 
I'm going to talk with my friend George, who is a community banker. He has a community bank here. And so I wanted to get into this topic first, and then we're going to jump into it with a conversation with him. What is the difference between a regional bank and a community bank? A community bank, a regional bank, and a national bank. What is What are the differences there? And so I want to get into that topic because I think it's a valuable conversation about banking and how you should feel about the industry because we know how headlines are. Headlines deal in disaster. Headlines deal in um in, in, you know, what, not always scare tactics, but we know that that's a big part of it. Auto loan denials are at a six year high. Interest rates have climbed, which means it's pricing people out because you know the, the few things that are attached to your qualifying for a loan is your ability to pay it back. They look at your debt to income ratio and they look at what discretionary income you have and the likelihood that you will have the ability to pay that loan back. Well, it is now at a six year high at almost 10% denial. What is that going to do to the automobile industry if less and less people are able to qualify for those loans? With so many people living in serious, serious debt, I think this is going to be a big problem in the foreseeable future. This is the part of the economy where policy matters, where we see changes being made that are not directly connected to a decision in Washington, but the policy changes can ease things for the consumer. And are we going to see that? So what I'm going to do here in a minute, so we'll do this at 1035, is I have a friend who is the chairman of a community bank here, and I'm going to ask him the questions that a lot of us have. What are the differences? Why are these, why is it beneficial to have a community bank? What's happening with these regional banks, and what is the Fed saying with regulation? How is it affecting the industry as a whole? What are the differences? And it's a lot of information that you're going to need to know so we understand this situation a little bit better. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, his name is George Weiss, and he's going to join me coming up here in just a few moments. Stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks so much for being here this morning, spending some time with us. There has been a lot of conversations about regional banks, community banks, national banks, and to tell the difference is difficult for the layperson. So I have a close friend who is the chairman of the uh, Scottsdale Community Bank. He joins us now. His name is George Weiss. George, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks, Mike. Appreciate you being on, and, and good morning to you. And thanks for your amazing service to our community. I think people don't know you don't sleep. <laughs> and that uh, when you're not on the air, you're out there supporting community organizations throughout the state. So thank you for that. Well, thanks, George. I, I appreciate that. Um, I want I wanted to bring you on to kind of give some clarification. First of all, let's talk about the difference between, let's say, your bank, a community bank and regional banks. What is the difference there and with the national banks? Right. And, and there is a, a very important distinction. So community banks are essentially smaller banks that handle deposits and loans in a specific geographical area or community. And so that kind of differs uh, from regional or national banks who are trying to balance those deposits and loans across the nation. So for us, for example, at Scottsdale Community Bank and several others at the Valley here, we want to go ahead and provide loans and handle deposits, but provide those loans to small and medium-sized businesses in our area that can include some local startups and especially nonprofits that we specialize in. So you're actually channeling your loans 
to where our depositors live and work. And probably the most important significance is that our bank is locally owned and locally managed, as most community banks are. So you get to know our staff. We get to know you. You're relationship-oriented. Our board and our staff are involved in the community. We know each other so well that every client will have the cell phone number of me and our president, CEO. So in an emergency, you have our availability 24-7. When it comes to the, la- uh, the the concern about security of people's deposits and money, how are the rules different for, you know, like let's say a regional bank and a national bank or a community bank? Well, how are the rules different? Well, the rules aren't essentially that different. Um, we are scrutinized tremendously by the FDIC, um, when, which is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Uh, we do stress tests. Um, we have to have a certain foundational uh, ch- uh, balance. Uh, we insure all our deposits, uh, our deposits per FDIC policies. Um, and so, you know, the, the capital ratio, which you're talking about, or liquidity that you have to have on hand, those are managed by the management of a bank. And different banks do different things. So we, don't, we operate differently and with less risk than the banks you've seen where the federal agencies have taken regulatory action. Is there going to be or are there going to be regulatory changes because of what's happened to some of these banks and how will it affect banks like yours? Yeah, it looks like people are talking quite a bit about it. And, you know, Mike, is you know, we've talked before, we totally support transparency and accountability and responsibility by the operators of banks. Um, but there's a certain level of risk that you either take or don't take. And the situation we've seen by the information, somewhat limited still, it's still coming out, is some banks decided to, uh, some of the banks that had regulatory action, and that's not every big bank, by the way, has gone ahead and invested some of the depositor funds into long-term instruments. And when a depositor needed those funds back, they weren't able to get them immediately or the bank would take a huge loss because they bought, they deposited those funds in investments uh, instruments at a very low rate, and now the interest rates have gone up. So there's what they call unrealized losses. So when, as so moving forward, um, how confident should the public be? Because one of the headlines, one of the big headlines today is that uh, Janet Yellen was saying that it's possible that we're going to see more bank bailouts. So that there, there seems to be a perception of instability. Yeah, I, you know, there's a very understandable concern. And, and, and that's, that's fine. And I think we need to get more information as well. Um, I think... People need to also understand that not all banks are created equal, that they operate differently, big banks versus community banks, um, that uh, the way they handle their depositors' uh, investments, the way they do their loans to certain industries, those are all important. And each of these big banks that have had regulatory action taken against them in the past couple of weeks have been even a little bit different themselves. But there obviously was a bit of a synergy that caused people to examine and look a little bit more as to what's happening with their funds. We have had no exposure to any of these uh, large banks that have had the regulatory action, and we are stable and going forth. In fact, we had actually more deposits this past week uh, compared to the week before in light of this because people are looking for banks they know and trust locally, run by local people, 
Um, and that's what that's basically what community banks are about. So then last question. And George Weiss is joining us. He is the chairman of the Scottsdale Community Bank. Um, what questions for the average person that's listening to this and learning stuff that they didn't know? Uh, we don't know what we don't know. What are the questions that the average consumer should be asking before putting their money in a bank? Well, they should ask every question they can even think of, and, and you've posed some very good ones. There is a website um, put out of what's called the Federal Financial Institutions um, Information um, Council or Examination Council, the FFIEC. And you can actually go to that website and look at reports that all banks have to produce that are public. But it takes a lot to go through that. I think you need to talk to the people that you're involved with at banking making sure you're not having to go through a menu of, of telephone recordings to talk to people, making sure you have access to executive staff, uh, which is what happens in community banks especially, and and ask what's going on with, with, with the funds, and making sure that they are going to be available to you for your payroll or your personal use whenever you need to do it. And so we watch our capital ratios very well. Uh, we take maybe less risk than some others. And so maybe our investors uh, don't make as much, but we have a model, Mike, that, that we've used because we've all been involved in the community and charity boards and everything. And that is we will do well for investors by doing good for the community. And that's our motivation. George, it's, uh, it's always information when I get to talk to you anyway, but I think this is information that people wanted to kind of learn what's happening and also the questions to ask and where to look. So I appreciate the time. It's valuable information as always from you, and I hope to see you soon. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. All right. That is George Weiss. He is the chairman of uh, Scottsdale Community Bank. Just a little bit. And I didn't know the answers to those questions. I just happen to know who to ask. And I think George is a great resource. George is somebody I've leaned on for years for advice in so many different areas. But um, I just thought it was good information for people that may be investing or fearing what's happening in banking right now. So those are some great questions to ask. Uh, Coming up in just a moment, um, we talked with Beth Lewis and with Tom Horn. Uh, Save Our Schools Arizona and the Superintendent of Public Instruction with opposite opinions on the very same topic, which is school choice and a little bit about the um, about the phone, the the hotline, the Empower hotline. So we'll let you recap. We'll recap some of those. Let you hear a little bit of what they had to say in a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you have not heard the interviews with Beth Lewis from Save Our Schools Arizona or Tom Horn, the superintendent of public instruction, please go back and listen. These are the all-important topics and some different views on the same thing. I will tell you that I believe Beth Lewis wants great education for children. I also believe that of Tom Horn, the superintendent of public instruction. Um, I just think they have different views of what is the right direction to head. So I talked with them. uh, And first of all, I want you to hear Beth Lewis talking about, first of all, the hotline, which is called the Empower Hotline. It is, in my opinion – And you're going to hear in a moment, not hers, but my opinion, that this is like a customer service hotline. If you are not getting satisfaction at the district level, if the teacher or the principal in a school, and this has happened to me, is not giving you satisfaction, this is an avenue to go to the Department of Education and level a complaint. 
And at this point, it's just a ridiculous distraction. I mean, it's the point is to drive attacks against teachers, but the reality is that Arizona parents, as you know, love and support our teachers. So Mr. Horn is getting thousands of calls and emails. Um, 99.9% of them are in support. So, yeah, but, I mean, uh, I guess he's finding that out, but a bad use of taxpayer resources. So again, and my rebuttal to that was there is a concerted effort. The Now, and by the way, Save Our Schools Arizona is not Arizona Educators United. They may be in agreement on a lot of issues, and they are in agreement on a lot of issues. They are two separate organizations. And uh, so AEU, the teachers, they call themselves a union, but it's the teachers organization. They are actively sabotaging this hotline. They hate it. They're encouraging their members to call it over and over and over again so that people with legitimate complaints can't get through. I believe that'll die down. It always does. But I think it's a juvenile way of handling things. It is, it's just a childish way of handling things, especially if your complaint is that this is a waste of resources. Well, you're wasting the resources. You're the one that's calling in with frivolous calls, wasting the resources. So it's a tactic that I'm not a big fan of, but it is what it is. But I wanna gi- I'm going to give you a real story, then I'm going to get to some more of this for as much as we have time. Um, when my girls were young and the youngest was in elementary school, we had an issue and it was a, I thought it was a big issue for an elementary school kid and there was no physical contact or anything like that and I don't want to go into details but uh, this kid was throwing the word rape around and we're talking about an elementary school kid. Now how much he understood the seriousness of that word I don't know but he said it enough and the things that he said were bad enough that we contacted the teacher and then we contacted the principal and I asked for a meeting And I've got to tell you, the meeting was one of the biggest waste of time I've ever went through. We were not even allowed to use these two kids' names. These boys, and I'm making up these names, Timmy and Tommy, let's say they were. When I used their names, she said, well, wait a minute, we're not going to use the names of the boys. Um, We can't use their names. We'll call them boy number one and boy number two. I said, but everybody in this room knows who they are. It's Timmy and Tommy, and I want to know... And I'm not going to. So, by the way, she was so stuck on the fact that and it wasn't I asked to clarify. I said, is that against the law or is this a policy? Well, this is a policy. And I said, well, I'm a lot more concerned about my daughter's safety than I am about your dumb policy about the names of people that I already know. It's not like you're letting the cat out telling me a secret. It got so bad that she ended the meeting before we had a meeting. And so I never got any level of satisfaction out of that. We don't know what happened to the boys. We don't know what punishment or what, and not even at that age, punishment. But what they did to school these kids on throwing around such inflammatory language and saying things like that to a classmate. We had no idea how it was handled because they kept it from us. And we had no recourse to go anywhere else. I'm not out of, I am certainly some, I am not someone who is unreasonable, but this was one of the most ridiculous conversations I have ever had in my life. And this was the principal of the school. I had no recourse. Um, And so that's what parents are frustrated by. Um, So I talked with with, uh, Superintendent Tom Horn, and we talked about the ESA program, which is the scholarship accounts, with the expansion of the voucher program. And I talked to him about this and why they are proposing changes and what's actually going on. Here was his first response. They didn't enforce the law with respect to the program. So they were allowing non-educational expenses. Uh, uh, Beth Lewis mentioned a grand piano. That was allowed by Kathy Hoffman's administration. 
situation. They, they had allowed people to get away with using those debit cards in restaurants and clothing stores. So th- there's a, there's a bit of a question here about what's going to happen with the debit cards. I will tell you, and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty easy going about these things, but there are things that I think are right and things I don't like. And I'll tell you this: they are not issuing debit cards to people that are coming into the program now. There's other avenues for them to use things. I think that's a mistake. Now I have no say in this, but I'll I'll make my voice heard on this. I think it's a mistake, and I think it's a mistake because the number one reason why I've been in favor of ESA expansion is it helps lower income families with options. And so I think that that debit card is one of the keys to making this work. Just like when you have the EBT card. Now, I also I have a health savings, it's not a health savings account, but a flexible savings account for a flexible spending account for my health insurance. And with that card, I can buy the medical things I need, even over the counter medication as part of my insurance deduction. It comes out of my paycheck and I can use that debit card. But that debit card knows if I try to buy something that isn't qualified in the program. So if I go to, and I was just at the pharmacy yesterday, if I buy my medicine and I buy a bag of chips, it's going to kick out the bag of chips. It's not going to let me buy them. That technology and software is available. I think there needs to be some integration here. I think if you're going to offer this program and the debit cards are an easy way for families to access that money, there can be a way to put in those uh, parameters. If they And I know they exist. I know they exist in this program, but making sure that that's up to date. And if they, people do get a purchase that goes through, it gets kicked out and their money is reduced or the cards, cards are canceled for people that are abusing it. That's what I would do. Now, how viable that is, we're going to have those conversations with the superintendent's office moving forward. And so that I think that is going to be uh, the key to success here. And I do like the program Uh, coming up just after 11 o'clock. Secretary Mayorkas from Homeland Security visits the border. What did he learn and what can we learn from that visit? We'll talk about both next.